Welcome to episode 46 of The People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. On this episode, our guests are Jade Chang and Crystal Chang. Jade Chang lives in Los Angeles and is the author of the book The Wangs vs. the World, recently released from Huffton Mifflin Harcourt. I'm interested in emotion and ideas, and that's what I want to, to write about more. I want to, like place a reader in that scene in a way that they know. Crystal Chang lives in Los Angeles and is a landscape architect who also creates floral works and installations. So I do landscape design now and it's very sort of self-taught. I took a field botany class at SMC. It was really great. I kind of feel like everyone should have to do that. Be forced to like go outside and really look at your environment and learn about it. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching the podcast section for The People Radio. You can also find us at Insert Blanc Press by going to insertblancpress.net and clicking on The People at the top of the page. But before we get to our conversation with Jade and Crystal Chang, we're going to hear from Los Angeles activist and labor organizer Alexis Soto in a new installment of Notes from the People. And regular listeners of this show might have noticed that we have yet to make mention of the tragic events of 11-9-2016, the presidential election here in the United States. And that is not because we're unaware of it, obviously, or that we don't think that it's relevant in any way to the content of this show. We, we absolutely believe the opposite of that. And we're currently working on putting together future episodes that more directly approach the new political climate. So for now, we hope this edition of Notes will give you uh, a preview of some of the material that we're working on for the new year. My name is Alexis Soto, and I'm a labor organizer in the uh, public sector. Uh, I'm also a co-founder of an L.A.-based feminist space called the Los Angeles Women's Impact Collective. I think right now uh, it's a really it's an important time during this uh, transition of power uh, federally to take a look at where we are from the left. We took a real beating in uh, across the the country, both in you know governors' races, um, in our state legislatures, federally. Um, we're at a point now where we really need to reflect on where we've been and what our priorities are uh, going forward. And I think that we're having a bit of a moment and we have to really sit and look at what, what that is uh, in order to be able to pave a road that's going to be successful going forward. And I would liken it to, unfortunately, the way that the, the right had it happen with the Tea Party. Right. Well, the Tea Party had huge funding from private sources, obviously, but they took a fringe movement and they were able to uh, really attack the corporate Republicans uh, that were that were leading their movement in a way that they felt like didn't properly represent them. Uh, There was a lot of internal battles that they had. And eventually now the fringe has won. And you see Republicans like uh, Paul Ryan and Ted Cruz, who are now cowering and sucking up, if you will, to to Trump, to this fringe leader. 
And I think that we have the same sort of pivotal moment in history where what is going to happen now with our fringe movement? What's going to happen with the people who follow people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the Jill Steins of the world? What's going to happen to our progressive agenda? You look at the corporate Democrats that have been leading the left for so long now. You have these empires of, you know, the Obamas love them, but Obama is a centrist. And so are the Clintons. They're part of this elite corporate status. And many people who are who consider themselves true progressives, they look at it and they say, you know, I don't really trust the left or the right. To me, it's the same party. And that's, I think, where the, the progressive movement is really born out of. So we took a beating. And I think people feel really robbed by Bernie not being the one who got the nomination. But now who is going to fill that void? Because I don't see Bernie stepping up in the way that I think people would like to. And you have all of this anger. There's this roller coaster of emotions that's happening now post-election. You know, there's anger, there is activism that's coming out of it. Um, but when that starts to wane, I think people feel depression, they feel apathy, uh, you feel um, numbness, and then it goes back to anger again. Uh, and the more that we continue through time not having a, a leader or I think a way or an outlet to be able to push forward, that anger is going to subside into apathy. And so it's very important that we push forward. And what does that look like? I'm not sure. You know, in labor, I think part of our key thing is not being those of us who are trained as organizers, not being the ones who are leading the fight, but pushing the marginalized communities to be the ones that lead the fight. So how do we make create an inclusive uh, movement that isn't part of the left eating itself. And I think you hear that a lot about identity politics. And that's, you know, I think the safety pins is a great, great example of that. Uh, you know, coming out, people said I wanted to wear the safety pin as the symbol that I'm with you. You know, I'm going to stand up to any bigotry or, I'm you know, I'm not going to be a bystander. And then folks from marginalized communities stepped up and they say, hey, dummies, you know, hey, hey, white people, um, you know, don't you know that Trump supporters are going to wear that too? Is that really going to be you know, the way that you're going to stand up, how many of you are really going to stand up with that safety pin? And there was this push and this pull, right? And I think similar to the way that we say with the right who, you know, they're saying, um, you know, we don't like political correctness. And you substitute political correctness for treating people with respect. And in that same way, on the left, you know, we can't say identity politics, like replace that with voices of marginalized communities, you know, so how do we create a movement that is inclusive, that's led by the people who are marginalized to be able to push out the corporate demigods and Democrats that have been leading our movement uh, to failure for so long? And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I know that we need all hands on deck. I think that we need to, you know, push people into training. How do we motivate people? But how do we as people who are trained in that privilege move people who are marginalized out? It's very easy for me as a white person to say, oh, we can have success, you know, through these campaigns. Of course, I've seen success. I am who I am. I have a lot of privilege on my side. But how does somebody who's been marginalized over years and years and years and seen it with their own eyes, how do we say that that's wrong and that that's going to change? And how do we not be the hero to say that, oh, well, it's going to you're going to win because you're with me, right? Because you're doing it with white people, right? Um, I'm not sure how we move that forward, um, but we have to figure it out. We have to have a conversation about it. We need to pull people into spaces. We need to be able to listen, and we need to be able to create a plan going forward because the consequences are more dire than they've ever been. And a lot of people liken this moment back to the rise of Hitler. And I think there's plenty of other 
um, horrible leaders, uh, you know, and genocides that have happened in this world outside of the one that we're all most familiar with. And um, it continues to happen. And it doesn't just look like that from the beginning. So how do we come together to be able to move it forward? Um, I'm not sure. But the more that we have this conversation, I'm confident that a plan forward will emerge. So let's keep having it. And let's all try to do our best to have faith that um, if we lean in, if we get involved to some sense, that something will come out of it. Because at the end of the day, there's no other choice. And now let's get to our conversation with Jade and Crystal Chang. Jade Chang and Crystal Chang, welcome to the people. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thank Thanks you. for having us. So, Jade, you have a new book out called The Wangs Versus the World. That is Can you, true. Yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> um, okay, so on a plot level, it is a book about a family that lost their fortune. And it is um, a family where the, the father is an immigrant from Taiwan, and he came to America, made an enormous cosmetics fortune, but then it is the late summer of 2008, so the beginning of the crash, and he's just lost it all. And the book kind of um, follows the family through uh, through dealing with that loss and kind of trying to put their lives back together again. And um, it's uh, Charles's wife, the children's stepmother, Barbara, who named herself after Barbara Streisand. And um, his three children, the oldest daughter, Sina, who was an art world kind of it girl who's just recently fled the city in disgrace. And the two younger children, Andrew, who is a stand-up comic, an aspiring stand-up comic, actually, (laughs) very aspiring. And the youngest daughter, Grace, who was in boarding school. And um, the most of the book follows a family on a cross-country trip to to the oldest daughter's house in upstate New York. But but also now that Charles has lost his fortune in America, he really wants to go back to China and reclaim the land that the communists stole from his family. So it follows the family, but it also is like mm-hmm. it your the book does a really good job of like going into each character and adopt, yes. adopting like really different voices in yeah. the writing for each character. And so it's about family dynamics and it's about where these uh, different characters are at. Right. And there's different kinds of successes and failures going mm-hmm. on at the same time that the big failure is happening. Mm-hmm. And there was a great moment when you uh, talk about when you, when the, when Charles uh-huh. is thinking about his I'm great... i so. Yeah, you're... <laughs> everyone in the book yes um where charles is talking about failure and Mm -hmm. it's it's a the book itself like does cover the 2008 crash yeah in this way that i'd never seen before um how did how did you come to talk about that kind of failure and the actual economics of it yeah um well i was always a weird kid who was very interested in um in okay so we grew up crystal and i grew up here in los angeles and you know we would get the la times and i would read the comics and then i'd read my horoscope and then um i would also read the business pages (laughs) we were like also 
like our parents played the stock market and so the background the tv was always on to like cnbc with yeah. like the stock reports going on yeah exactly yeah. like we f- we felt very sort of intimately connected to maria Bartol- bartolomo yes. and yes. the money honey yeah yeah <laughs> who they called the money honey. And, and that other guy whose name i can't remember now but um yeah so i was always just interested in the sort of financial backstories of a lot of things. But um, but I think what's more interesting to me, which I haven't really gotten the chance to talk about much, is is failure, you know? And it was really, I think that we love to tell stories of success, and yet we all operate with this constant fear of failure. And... I think that um, it's something that's really interesting to explore, and I don't, I don't know. Is it like, do you find that that's something you guys are scared of talking about, or that you like? It's kind of delicious to talk about. Well, I thought in the book what it, what was really great is that you were talking about a very personal failure, and mm-hmm. then there's a moment where you kind of like, it's like you pull out and yeah. you talk about how everyone was collectively. Failing. feeling personal failure but then mm-hmm. realizing that they weren't the only person you yeah, know they weren't the right. only one yeah, yeah each character has their own yeah their own failure that they're grappling with and right kind of all of america at that right. moment, yeah too yeah. like after years of collective success all of a sudden we're all failures to fail together yeah, yeah and then uh, another moment i really enjoyed was um there's like when andrew is in his econ mm-hmm. class mm-hmm and uh, he knows he's like getting picked up and leaving school yeah you know um and it's like you use an economics professor right. in a very dramatic way to actually tell like kind of some boring parts about right. economic collapse right. <laughs> yeah, and i was yeah, like yeah. oh it's a very dramatic moment but i'm also yeah. getting like you know getting to eat my wheaties at the right. same time right, so it was right. really that was actually a really fun spot as well yeah thanks well and and i also i feel like I mean, the, the, that financial crash was definitely kind of one of the most immediately analyzed things of our time. You know, there's so right. much. Yeah. Um, there's so many think pieces immediately about and it. Movies. And movies. And movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so many movies. And But I do think there, there are a lot of inherent um, kind of dramatic things about it. I think that the whole Gaussian Copula story i don't know if you guys yeah right know about this um i don't do tell you do, so there's this this um analyst essentially is what he was uh, named david lee who was actually from china who came up with this uh formula it's called the gaussian copula he named it after a kind of famous old mathematician and essentially this formula purported to to calculate risk, to, to kind of create and to like this, quantify it. Yeah. yeah. To make it like a, a knowable thing. Exactly, exactly. And and kind of you know, when you have um, financial analysts their their whole reason for being is is to like get as close to quantifying risk as possible. And so people kind of used that formula to um, it's it's essentially what caused the mortgage lending crash yeah because it enabled people to kind of to to essentially give mortgages to uh home buyers who were extremely unqualified for these mortgages but because you could kind of slice up and apportion the risk banks became willing to buy these to to buy that risk basically 
Um, and in the in the book, you've got this economics professor explaining this. Meanwhile, he's got like a box of Beanie Babies. That yeah. He <laughs> so it's, it's like, oh yeah. Also, Beanie Babies. It's the same story, right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Like the yes, like they got so out of control. Like the whole princes die Beanie Baby yeah. thing. Did you guys have Beanie Babies? Confess. <laughs> my, no. My parent, my mom and my sister uh-huh. did have Beanie Babies. Really? And, I, and they would, you know, put them in like plastic bags. Oh my and, god. Yeah. Yeah. What do they do with them? Do they still have them? I'm gonna guess that they are in a box in a basement somewhere. Do you think yeah. they're hoping? I don't think that there's any real hope for that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but did they like initially buy them like as an? Oh investment? yeah, they, it was like a collection thing. Yeah, of for course. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And just because yeah. I didn't have Beanie Babies, like there's there's a box of comic books from oh, the '90s oh. right over there. It's a which... very clean box. That's. Well, I haven't sold a lot of them, <laughs> much, much to the chagrin Not- of my younger self, like, who thought I was going to make a fortune, just right. like, you know, Beanie Baby collectors. Yeah. So. Although it could still happen. I mean, you don't know, like, what comic book people are going to go crazy over, right? The 90s were a bad time for the <laughs> Oh, but also, the one other thing about the Gaussian Copula, I don't know if you guys remember our old friend Jared Elms. We were in the writing program together. Yeah. Yeah. He, has, he famously got a tattoo of it. Um, that, like the Wall Street Journal did a story on it. Oh it was my God. Cool. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The Wall Street Journal did a story on his tattoo? Yep. I mean, that's the whole story. Just blew my mind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What's up, Jared Elms? All right. All right. If listeners haven't figured this out, you guys are sisters. Yeah. Uh, and, is, and I hate to ask like this kind of dumb, really obvious question, but like in, in the book, in The Wangs Versus the World, is there... Like I'll throw it to you, Crystal. Like I am not Grace. <laughs> I'll just say that. I wasn't going to ask that specifically. I wanted Crystal you to is say a very bratty teenager. Right. <laughs> well, but there is a there is one of the things in the book is that becomes obvious is that all of the all of the characters, especially the sibling characters, uh, uh, really even though they kind of live in very disparate worlds, uh-huh. are very close. Yes. To one another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I yeah I think we are very close I think actually so we're five years apart I'm younger Um, (laughs) and I think that helped I think because we weren't like in competition Mm -hmm. for anything we Um, were never in the same school either just once like in elementary school because like I I was like in kindergarten or something yeah 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 Yeah. competition was fierce then (laughs) yeah yeah um well, that, I mean, and that comes across in the book, too. Like, that sort mm-hmm. of familial, uh, it's, yeah, it's like a little competition or a little propriety, right? right? Mm-hmm. But right. but ultimately, like, in the context of, like, the big failure and the big competitions that, or little competitions that each of the characters is dealing with, mm-hmm. yeah. like, there's the, the, the other side of that is that there isn't a lot of competition between the right. siblings, right? right? Right. Or and a little, a little bit with the the stepmother, a little bit, but not really. Not not a ton. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I was. I feel like we see a lot of those stories with you know like battling siblings or siblings who really yeah. hate each other, and in a way, I think it's harder to write about love than it is to write about sure. like yeah. hate and conflict. And I feel like it's actually more memorable. Like, this is going to be really random. But there uh-huh. was that movie with Julia Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones where they were uh-huh. sisters. Oh, what a weird pair. And, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, but they – and, you know, there's plenty of, like, you know, conflict between the two of them. But mm-hmm. there's, like, a moment where they're, like, in bed together just sort of, like, cuddling in a way that yeah. was, like, very 
like real to me yeah. but like you don't see that yeah you know? yeah I feel like you really don't you really kind of don't see it enough and and it's also you know I find that um every what is it Ugh, the every happy family oh is happy in this in the same, same way. way and then every unhappy happy oh, family right. yeah, is yeah. unhappy in a different way in a different i always way. get yeah, them mixed right. Up. Yeah. yeah right but i actually find that quote to be really annoying because what so only the unhappy families are, like have you know depth of feeling and thought and the happy families are just like bouncing around like idiots like it's really Wait, but this is also really funny because i just read i think it was in deer fang uh-huh. or swing time because i just read both of them yeah. where they talk about the exact same thing and oh like, really no it's the opposite yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's the opposite i really do yeah yeah yeah, it makes it makes for a tension, weirdly, that mm-hmm. everyone loves each other so much. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. for me, I was just uh-huh. like, okay, when is it gonna get yeah. really ugly? You and know? it's not like it's not like there's no little cracks or conflicts. Sure. Yeah. And right. I think that's that that it's a more complex mm-hmm. story because mm-hmm. the cracks, the conflict, the little conflicts, conflicts exist, but within mm-hmm. this, you know, it's not just the story of the conflict right you yeah. know it's yeah. like that exists and and this other thing exists like yeah. a real camaraderie exists as well yeah. yeah and also it's more like being real humans yeah, yeah. right right yeah especially when they all i mean they all find themselves adrift mm-hmm. in one way or another right. and right. it's that's the only real thing that they've got left mm-hmm. right yes it yeah. seems like yeah so crystal how much do you feel like you saw yourself in any of the characters well i know that you always think that i feel like i've left out of things oh <laughs> it's not that i think that you feel like you left out of things it's that i think it's that as like a, a youngest child now. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and also i think that as a youngest child there is this thing where where you're like but wait like what about you me? guys went to something hey. without me like yeah. Right. What? what yeah 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 um also there's i guess the an autobiography by Deborah Mitford, who is mm-hmm. the youngest Mitford sister, and the title is like, like, wait for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that mm-hmm. definitely. But actually, the first time I read it, I was surprised by how little it was like our family. Oh. Yeah. Which is, that's surprising for me to hear. I would think that oh. you would that one any writer yeah but also i was gonna say just especially and especially like our parents like even though they have the same i guess just very yeah the Um, backstory is the same but um because i think we sort of talk about our parents in like there could be a novel about oh yeah basically yeah yeah. like they are like characters in a book (laughs) (laughs) it was surprising to read the book and they are not in it right right yeah. yeah, that seems like you didn't cop out, Jade. Like that's, yeah. wouldn't, it, wouldn't it? It would just be so much easier, and no one would blame you for writing the characters like your fam, like your yeah. sister, like your parents. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I feel like then you wouldn't be able to have them like do as much potentially distasteful or like yeah, it would it would, it would, it would make uh, family you know? dinners a lot more. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's better to. You know, keep, keep, keep it outside of the family. <laughs> You're listening to The People in Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And you can also find us on insertblogpress.net. 
and just click on the people at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Jade Chang and Crystal Chang. Oh, so, Crystal, you went to architecture school. You went to Cooper Union. Yes. And then you were an architect for a little while. And then you worked in construction for a while where you were a project manager. And, yes. And bossed around <laughs> subcontractors. And then now you do flowers. Yes. That's true. <laughs> Although I have to say, I became a licensed architect after all of that. Like, oh, really? After construction. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so so now you're Anyways, legit. Now I'm legit, and now I do flowers. Yeah. <laughs> but here's my question, like with, and I've always wondered this, like when you're, like, what is it that you're really? Because I know you, so you're not, you know, you're not just sort of like trying to make a pretty bouquet, right? Like, right. what is it that you're really kind of aiming for when when you're putting together flowers? And also, how do you know where to start, and how do you know where to stop? So. I guess to start. So the reason I got into flowers mm -hmm. um, was because I did the flowers for my wedding. Or yeah. actually, Jay did a lot of the flowers I for did. my wedding because I had a true. terrible headache. <laughs> and um, so I was like looking up flowers on the internet. And mm. there's this florist in Brooklyn um, called Saipua who... Mm. The images of her flowers were just so amazing. And I have to say they like they hurt my heart mm -hmm. like they were like heartbreakingly beautiful yeah. and so the, I think that was the first time when I saw like flowers could be something more than just like pretty or mm -hmm. you know like they could be very emotional mm -hmm. and I think it was also like her photographs of them are yeah. you know that creates more sort of depth but um so that's how I got interested and started into flowers mm -hmm. and I always think it's interesting like flowers versus architecture because yeah. like architecture takes years and mm -hmm. you know like so many people have to be involved to for anything to happen and then once you do it it lasts forever yes and then so flowers are nice because you're making like I wanted to get back into making things mm -hmm. um, which I missed and mm -hmm. and it's interesting because with flowers like you start with just color and texture and then you have to create structure oh. and then with architecture it's like you're you start with sort of nothing and mm -hmm. like purity of form and then you have to get to like texture hopefully T How, what's that process sorry yeah so, i was I, yeah. I think we're asking the same question tell me tell me what structure means in in flower I arrangement i think um so i guess it goes back to your question too like how mm -hmm. do i start so usually i start with like a color you know like flowers that are in season or something mm -hmm. like that and my husband, Josh, has um, compared it to more like, it's like you're a chef in a way. Like you mm -hmm. see these, you know, things at the market that look yeah. good and then yeah. you buy them and then you figure out how to put them together. Oh, yeah. So it's a little bit like that. But I think when I'm making the flowers, I do think very much about the structure of it in the beginning. So like high points, low points, mm -hmm. making triangles, mm -hmm. making like paths of color that you, and then you want sort of like low points and high points and and I think what I also try to do is like make space within the arrangement so it's oh. not just an object but it's but it's a space oh that's so interesting basically okay and there's this quote that a lot of like floral designers use and I think no one really like knows where it comes from uh -huh. is that you want to leave space for a bird to fly through oh so it's like you're making a landscape okay. in a way does it feel very different than trying to design 
like part of a building yes yeah like when I started with flowers I was mm-hmm. so slow mm-hmm. and I literally felt like I was using a different part of my brain mm-hmm. that was like slowly like the gears are turning sort yeah. of but it, very slowly how yeah. do you think you got okay so when Crystal first started doing flowers they were cute you know but but um later on her husband and I both do you remember this yeah, conversation yeah. where both of us were like you know you started and we were like okay good, good luck <laughs> like these are nice but you know they're not yeah. like that exciting but then you got so good like how do you think you I got think, so good I think it's just practice really yeah but you don't think it's like like having a new degree of emotional understanding of the power or anything like that maybe partially but but I do think it is just like making like constant I got to the point where I was able to critique myself basically and I could tell what was wrong with things Uh. and then sometimes like at the beginning you can tell something's wrong but you don't know how to fix it Mm -hmm. but then I was able to be like oh no this should go there or like Uh. that needs to be taken out or like and what's the basic for that the basic and what is the basis for that critique and like a follow-up question what when when you said that like you saw that a flower arrangement could be heartbreaking like yeah. what, how do, how do you mean i don't know to be honest i but mm-hmm. i think just like it could be i think it's something about that it there is something unexpected about it so mm-hmm. it could be like things going together that you would not think would go together and are using you know using sort of like unexpected materials or you know Mm -hmm. like dry grasses with or like weedy things you know Mm -hmm. uh, with like very conventionally beautiful flowers I think so it's a formal exercise in the same way that designing a building or any other architectural structure would be right yeah I think so well, and you also said that you you prefer to work on larger installations. Yes. And yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that that context somehow relates to this, like that it's yeah, more like designing a, more a larger space, architectural yeah? in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah. So I like created a backdrop that was like suspended, uh, like invisible line with um, different like foliage attached each line and then the, it all creates a pattern together and that does feel much more like architecture to me and just even the way I was working on it like I drew it out on graph paper mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. yeah it dimensioned all of it and everything but it did end up being very beautiful it was um it's hard to describe it, it, it the whole thing it was very large I mean it was it was like an entire what like 30 30 foot wall I would say so and it but suspended in space and then it was like a grid of different patterns all made with different colored and sized leaves that crystal just picked up from the ground outside of her house basically (laughs) yeah and do you think about plant like do you think about nature in a different way now it's funny because to go back into what I think of as the origin story of my work, mm-hmm. um, I was in Iceland on a trip with a, an ex-boyfriend. And, um, you know, it's just beautiful everywhere. And there it's really just nature and mm-hmm. amazing landscapes and, like, lava rock and green moss. And and I remember we were driving and, like, you know, just on what – there's only, like, one road, basically, mm-hmm. and just driving on it. And all of a sudden we see – in the middle of nowhere just like this amazing turquoise lake there Aww. and and he was an architect also you know we just graduated mm-hmm. from architecture school and he said nature always wins 
<laughs> like he was really sad about it because he wanted architecture to you know uh, like compete right right but i thought about that and i uh-huh. at some point when i started working more on like flowers and landscapes i was like you know i'm gonna be on the side of nature now <laughs> like yeah i'm gonna be on the winning side <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're on the side of it but at the same time you're 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 formalizing it in a way right yeah yeah Which, yeah and how do you feel about that it is funny because i do think part of the reason I want to work on flowers is because I want people to appreciate nature more, Mm -hmm. basically, you know, like Mm -hmm. these flowers are beautiful and to somehow connect that to the nature outside. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that happens. Well, I think the fact that your, that your arrangements are really, they have a certain wild, your arrangements have a certain wildness to them. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it feels far more connected to the outside world than those yes. kind of traditional, like tight, like yeah, like yeah. a globe of baby's breath kind and of... garbage. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I hate flowers that like are made so to not look like flowers mm-hmm. or to not even feel like flowers. Or like those cu- giant cubes of flowers that Kanye West I know. famously sends people. <laughs> 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 yes. And you, you, did you also work uh, uh, like as an official more like landscape architect at some point as well? I do. So I do landscape design now and it's very sort of self-taught. I've taken like classes. I took a field botany class at SMC. That class was crazy. They, it was really great. I, I kind of feel like everyone should have to do that. Really? But I, But to be forced to like go outside and really look at your environment... Yeah. and learn about it yeah we don't do it no it's yeah, really, it should be like especially an here in los angeles thing. because the you know the myth is that we're in this city and there's no nature you know yeah. which anybody who lives here knows that yeah. that's yeah. absolutely yeah. Or, not the case. like i hate the myth that like la is a desert because it's not, not like yeah. I right hate not that. not even officially right, right. Yeah. exactly <laughs> like, truly not a yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and also we did go to the desert and looked at all the amazing plants there too. Yeah, which is also yeah. filled filled with life, like yeah. teeming with life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the landscape design I do is mostly, you know, for houses, so residential mostly through word of mouth, friends, friends of friends. And does that yeah. connect more with like your architecture background than just more is, flower arranging or Yeah, I do think it's more connected to the architecture background, but it is it is, you know, as it sounds like, it is sort of in between the two because you're dealing with living things and they may die. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you have to deal with that. Right. Yeah. Do you think of your work as being narrative at all? I I always struggle with that a little bit, I think. Yeah, um, well, so in architecture school, um, our professors were very against narrative work. Like at all? Yes, oh. at all. Like there okay. could be no story to anything. It had to just be the very space. Very reunion. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, so I had that sort of prejudice, but mm. I also read a lot. Like that's how I grew up, just reading, and so mm. which is all narrative, right? Um, and my actually my thesis project in school was about books, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you get Which like, it wasn't points off for that? No, actually, they liked that project. Okay, <laughs> but I think because it worked as sort of like drawings, mm. which is what it was. And, so, what would be yeah. what would be a narrative? What would be a narrative aspect of a of of a landscape project or a flower arrangement that, like, yeah, tell me what that is. I don't know. I guess maybe not 
I guess in a landscape, or I think of any sort of narrative as there's some procession of events, basically. Mm -hmm. So with, um, so in architecture, you know, like moving through the building, like the entrance and in landscapes, there can be a similar thing Mm -hmm. with that. In flowers, there is sort of when you have an arrangement, I do think about how sort of the eye travels around the arrangement. So like there's a focal point usually and then like that and you know where your eye is initially drawn to and then I do sort of think about like pads of color through the arrangement so how Mm -hmm. your eye travels over Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the flowers. Do you think of it as like forcing someone to have an emotional experience? That's so aggressive. <laughs> Sorry. But... So controlling. No, yeah. I think it's more of like hopefully it sparks like sparks joy. Right. <laughs> but that was I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like our our, mm. our our friend, all of our friends, Norman our Norman Klein, right, like talks about scripted <laughs> scripted spaces and architecture uh-huh. being a scripted space where it's you know, it controls you you give out you give yourself over to the control of the space. Yeah. Right? And in the same way that you give yourself over to the control of a, a painting or a sculpture or a landscape or or a arrangement of flowers. But I think it's also well also, so my second year professor was Peter Eisenman, who was very much created controlling spaces to mm-hmm. the point like he made one house where the couple like could not live there huh. basically really? it was too painful oh, yes God. and so and I don't think I could ever be like a very successful architect because I'm not like this is my vision and mm-hmm. this is how it's going to be I'm very mm-hmm. like well what do you want you know like because you want a, a space that can be lived in not one that like dictates things yeah necessarily I don't know. It's hard because there's also some buildings. That, I don't know if you guys know it. There's a Rem Cool House building. It's one of his earlier projects. And it was built for a family where the father is in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. And so the it, the building's like a square, basically. And then the center is a floor that is the whole thing is an elevator. Like it goes up oh. and down. And <laughs> there was this, like, I think a very short documentary about it, which was really interesting and it shows you know just like the maid vacuuming like in this crazy house uh-huh. and the mother is like everyone has been hurt by this house at some point <laughs> oh my god yeah. but but i forgive that because the house is really amazing you're listening to the people on k 1630 a.m i'm matthew timmons and i'm ben white you can find the people on itunes by searching for the people radio in the iTunes store. And when you're there, if you would, please uh, take the time to leave us a review and uh, give us a rating. That'd be great. You can also find us at Insert Blanc Press by going to insertblancpress.net and clicking on the people at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Jade Chang and Crystal Chang. So Jade, I was struck by, um, in the, say, first 30 to 50 pages of your book, I was mm-hmm. really drawn in. And then at some point I was... Uh, struck by the fact that you'd done it without giving a whole lot of like descriptive details of the places or Mm -hmm. this character had wispy hair or something like that, you know? Um, And yet I was drawn into this like emotional universe without like knowing what the house looked like or what the dorm room looked like or what the boarding school specifically looked like, even though of course, Mm -hmm. as a reader, I'm providing all those details 
Yeah, how much myself. did you picture on your own? Do you I mean, I think the boarding school for some reason, maybe because I've seen enough like Harry Potter films or <laughs> things like that, you know. But yeah, but but I was I'm interested in mm-hmm. like you know how how you were able to do that, or more like your like why. Yeah, like the impetus know. behind that. Yeah, the impetus so, behind that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I hate reading description. I think it's really boring. And I sometimes sometimes I can be very narrow-minded in that I can't picture that anyone else would think that something that I think is boring is exciting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, for example, I can't imagine that anyone thinks The Nutcracker is interesting to watch at all. I think it's so boring. But... <laughs> I'm sorry, it's true. Sorry, children of, of the world who, who love delights and holiday wonders. Um, but um, but I do I am interested in kind of emotional description. And so and it always it often strikes me as it feels a little false when when there's suddenly like a long character description. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't feel like the way that anybody thinks. And um, place descriptions I do enjoy a, a tiny bit more, but um, yeah, I think I just want you to to feel something about a place and then hopefully fill in that picture yourself. I don't know. I mean, how much do you guys, when you're reading a book, how much do you picture what's happening in it? I really don't picture the characters at all. When I read, like, like not even a little bit, no, like faces or yeah. details or anything. Mm-hmm. So when I read, it's funny. So I don't see any of that, but I do see myself in the action of the move, uh, in, in the <laughs> action of the book, as if I was watching a movie almost. As if you were in the movie. As if I was in the movie. And it's very much I see like this character is like, I'm standing next to them. They're to my left or my right, or they're standing in front of me or behind me. Or, you know, like, people enter from, like, whatever direction. So you have, like, a sense of the blocking and, like, yourself yes. in space? <laughs> yes, exactly. Very They're... theatrical and very architectural. Yes. Yeah, very architecty of it's a way true. to... It's so strange. Do you yeah. think that, like, being an architect and, like, all of that training has made you think of all of the world as just spaces? Like, we're all just no. spaces that you're moving through? <laughs> Well, it's true. But no, but I, I mean, I read much before, you know, I had anything to do with architecture because right. we grew up like going to the library. Oh, yeah. And and just like... bringing back like stacks and stacks of books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think I always did that. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think it was like a switch or that was flipped or anything like that and the other thing is i always love reading i love books like as physical mm-hmm. objects mm-hmm. and i hate ebooks uh-huh. but it's very much like knowing where you, even reading like the book was a spatial experience because it's like knowing where you are like how much you read how much you have left yeah and then also like when i remember passages from a book i remember mm-hmm. where it is on the page roughly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even that can be a spatial experience. That's true. I guess it's true. What about you guys? Like, what do you picture when you read? Or do you? I have to admit that I fall into a trap that I think a lot of people fall into, which is mm-hmm. to, and not all the time, but mm-hmm. sometimes picture characters as people 
I know. Really? Or I've never uh, ever thought to do that. Really? Or yeah. celebrities? I mean, there's there's a, occasionally celebrities, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. because they they sort of like rhyme with uh, the, the, an like, actor's portrayal mm-hmm. of someone right. in another movie who's in a similar mm-hmm. role or something like right. that. Yeah. Um, and not all the time, but definitely not in the way that Crystal's talking about. Like, I think that's weird and awesome <laughs> that, it's like, that it's a that it's a more of a spatial like yeah. relationship and less of a. a uh, what's the word like identity or, yeah. or yeah. personalization yeah you know or just yeah trying to lock down the exact way someone looks and relate it to someone I know or have encountered or have seen on stage or screen or whatever yeah do you think you do that to like feel closer to the characters I think I do it because I'm uh, brainwashed by culture, you know, like I'm controlled by culture and I'm used yeah. to seeing images move in front of my face, you know, and I even and I love reading and I've read mm-hmm. a lot. And but mm-hmm. it's still like that sort of moving image version of culture, like just intrudes into even my reading experience with a book book. Right, you know? right, right. That's it. Guys, I wonder if like. The fact that there are so many podcasts now and podcast listeners, like, so I there are a lot of podcasts that I listen to, and I often will listen, like, if I just kind of want a break in the day, mm-hmm. I'll often just, like, lie down on my couch or in bed, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll listen to a podcast, which is, like, an entirely different way, like, a way of consuming culture that we've never really well i guess people listen to the radio that way but it's yeah. different right they had to like gather a ra- you had to go to the radio more right. at a specific time mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah like it's i don't know i just feel like the whole physical experience of it is well it's is at different. your it's at your leisure you know if if you have the leisure to have a computer and have the internet of course obviously but like you can listen to it whenever you want right? but it also feels like minus moving images like mm-hmm. it feels dark they paint a, a picture for that's you, true. very that's much true. so. You know, and it's a very personal voice. It feels, it yeah. always feels like they're just speaking to you, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. and it's a great thing about radio yeah. and podcasts, yeah. which is which is what is so great about uh, that. Like uh, what Matt was saying about the Wangs versus the world is that like that it wasn't doing that, and I didn't notice. You know, yeah. I didn't so notice. Like I said to you off mic, it's like yeah. I feel like I got suckered, you know, but in the best, <laughs> like you tricked me, yeah. like, but in the best possible way, right. like you, you made me do, uh, all the work, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I gotta say, it's so interesting, like hearing, you know, now having written the book and touring for it and talking to people who have read it. It's so interesting how many different ways there are to like read things and think about things that that honestly never even occurred to me like that question didn't really ever occur to me of like how are people going to picture these these scenes i don't know i just didn't i didn't think about it concretely did you did you like decide to not write descriptions yeah. Or did you just not? I just do don't it really like writing description. Like it's yeah. not it's not that interesting to me. You know, I think maybe part of it is also, as a journalist, I wrote a lot about architecture and design, and I had to describe so many things <laughs> yeah. all the time in yeah. like such boring detail. Yeah, and so it's kind of a treat to only. I'm interested in emotion and ideas and. That's what I want to to write about more. And you and there are some great set pieces in the book mm-hmm. that have maybe a little more description. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like the 
the art fair moment when Saina mm -hmm. is like, uh, there's descriptions of her art projects that yeah. do feel more like concrete. Oh yeah, but that oh, was like but, pure pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was and, like and an it, art project. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could feel the. I mean, it's a great thing that as mm -hmm. a reader, when you can, you can sense how much fun the writer yeah. is having. Yeah. You know, in the process of describing or ha you know moving through right. a space right. narratively. But another another great set piece was the uh, the party in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That just that was richly described. Or or the communist dinner and all the yes. food for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was actually the only thing that was based on a real thing. It was a dinner that Chris and I went to with our family in China. Do you remember? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> how could you forget? I, it is impossible to explain how many different kinds of animals we ate. Yeah. I mean. And I was not an adventurous eater at the time. Oh, no. So I basically ate none of it. Yeah. I like picked out some vegetable yeah. pieces like was... amidst all the strange meats. But it, it, essentially it was, it was a dinner run by like the Agricultural Bureau of that like the local region yeah party there. so they kind of wanted to show off like these this is the bounty of the land these are all the things but also when you were talking about uh picturing celebrities right there there was one so the uh, like in thinking about their appearances the only um person who was like a little bit based on an existing person is uh dory the woman who andrew meets in mm. new orleans um who's this older woman who uh deflowers him and <laughs> is that too much of a spoiler maybe <laughs> but um i don't know if you guys ever saw the september issue which is a really fantastic documentary about um the vogue, vogue. magazine september issue and like how it gets made it's honestly, even for people who think fashion is dumb, it's so it's worth watching. It's yeah. really good. Um, but there's this one one person in there is Grace Coddington, who was, um, she was a very famous kind of, she was a famous model when, when she, she was, was younger, younger. And then she's um, an editor at Vogue now. But is she the creative director? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but she was who I like, was picturing she has she's very pale and mm -hmm. she has this like crazy red hair mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's like enormous yeah she looks like a fairy queen kind of yeah well is that the only character that you i mean we're talking about how you didn't you didn't give us description mm -hmm. us the readers mm -hmm. uh, and that's not entirely true there, yeah that's there, not true. there are there's, some. there's there's obviously enough description to to work from you know, sure no as doubt. a reader but well, yeah. I guess the okay. So, for example, I, there's a scene where the middle son Andrew is about to do a comedy club thing, and um, I think in that I didn't really describe like exactly what the club looked like or anything, but I did. I remember talking about like um, maybe like how your feet stick to the floor slightly there was, because and the of smell the beer. of the place. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that quite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I feel like to me like that kind of thing like one evocative line especially it does more something than enough, that references right? smell. Yeah. You know, I feel like that does a lot in the way of well, of it's description. More like it's like experience mm -hmm. and like everyone has had that experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like you, I want to like place a reader in that scene in a way that they know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. talking about like trying to describe a comedy club or yeah. or or the experience of doing a stand-up set for the first time. Yeah. I was struck uh, by the your description of the art projects mm-hmm. and the art world. Mm-hmm. And I was struck because people get it in film and in television and in all, all sorts of media get it so wrong <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You know, and it was it was the closest thing to the way that I've experienced that mm-hmm. world that than I've seen. Thank like you. it's it's right on like it gets portrayed so atrociously. Mm-hmm. In I think we were talking about the the series Divorce right. and Sarah Jessica Parker's like yeah. gallery opening experience and it's just like this is not real like this <laughs> right, is like right like no one's it just, like even even sort of like fancy dumb galleries are not like that exactly yeah. right or they're they're more dumb than that like <laughs> yeah. you're not yeah. making them as dumb as, as they, they actually are right you know? exactly but yeah that was that was very impressive like that was just like oh yeah I can see this or that reminds me of uh, existing mm-hmm. artists and existing projects you know. Thank you. Yeah, it was really, um, I mean, I, th- I think that was that was one thing. People ask me a lot if I had to research the art world a lot, and I feel like that was one thing that I, that I definitely, information that I derived from experience. Yeah, you, you know? know a bunch of us idiots already. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? Like, I have so many friends who are artists, and then also, like, what I think is interesting is that people who don't sort of interact with the art world at all see it as one big thing that's exactly the same, right? Mm-hmm. you know, when in fact there are like so, so many, many yeah. different worlds of it. And right. like those worlds, some of those worlds are like 0% in contact ever. Right. And then some of those worlds are kind of like in head-to-head combat in a little way. And um, I don't know, I that really interests me. And that was like a thing that I wanted to to write about. Um, but how did you guys feel about Sina's um, shows? Would you want to see them in real life? And you can say no. I won't be offended. It's it's hard to say. I mean, recent there's been some. Um, I'm going to be careful here. There's <laughs> been there's been some <laughs> exhibitions or some projects. There yeah. there have been situations that are similar to that recently yeah. where. Uh, someone did something that like kind of objectively it, it, it seems like conceptually it seems like a good project yeah right. you know and it, it mm-hmm. kind of like it tracks mm-hmm. but in pre- and the artist and the curators involved mm-hmm. went through with it and then like right when it came out uh, mm-hmm. or was put up you know there was a resounding like this is the most offensive shit I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life we cannot we cannot believe that you would bring this to a major art museum you know, yeah. and so that's her her project that mm-hmm. that got her outcast was uh, echoed that right to me. So it was yeah. a very real thing that that happens. Yeah, yeah, it totally happens. Yeah, so in the book, she has um, three like very successful, sort of widely beloved um, art projects, and then she does mm. one that kind of makes everybody mad. That is exploitative. <laughs> yeah. Right, and that's generally or the- is it? Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, yeah, it was, yeah. but it was like it was like that. Mm-hmm. Reading about that project mm-hmm. it, and and seeing the way that you described her her thought process and like yeah. doing it yeah. mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, I guess like you get caught up and you think like this is a pretty good idea, and right. then right. she was as shocked as as 
everybody as everybody yeah, to yeah. F- for everyone just to poop on it because yeah. it was like the most offensive shit right. of all time you right. know um so yeah that was that that mm-hmm. was i found that very accurate and and very appropriate for like right now yeah yeah, yeah. How much do you worry about, like, when you're making art, you know, when you're making work, like, do you think about that? Like, oh, do you, of course. Yeah, you yeah. do a lot? Of course. I'm a, I'm a straight white male. Yeah. Like, well, I, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it, ha, it has to be. I'm not complaining, obviously. It, mm-hmm. it has to be a thing that you right. think about at all moments. It's like, how is how does this read? You know, if you are, like, straight white dude, especially, right. or any, any version of that. Like, yeah, you're... Right. It's just something that needs to be thought about at all mm-hmm. moments. It's just a constant thing that needs to be on your shoulder, and that's not that's not an annoyance. That's a, that makes the work better, yeah. you know, and makes your role as an artist legitimate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it gives you a sort of like social inquiry, which is you know, which seems like necessary as an artist. I think that's the goal of everything, like of of making art in general, is you want people to. Yeah. You want to crack people open just a little bit. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this show. Jade, Crystal, thank you for being, on the, for being on the people. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio in the iTunes store. And please remember to leave us a review and a rating if you have a chance. That would be awesome. You can also find us at insertblancpress.net. And you can also find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud and just about anywhere else where you get your podcasts. And, of course, on Facebook. So like us on Facebook. Yes, please do that. Uh, our theme music, as always, is the song Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a song from Los Angeles band Rats from their self-titled album. The name of the song is Teriyaki Milkshake. <laughs>